We're going through Isaiah and we're talking about coming home today. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth. See, inside of us, there is a longing for something more, right? For every believer, there is a longing and an understanding that we are not home now, but we're heading towards home. We're going home. This world is not as good as it gets. Praise God. I, I know for some, you might, you might be like, oh, life is pretty good. Oh, just wait. This world is not as good as it gets. And the older I get, the more I appreciate that. Because we look forward and we long to go home. We long for being in eternity with our Lord and Savior, being in His presence for the end of sorrow and suffering, for the end of tears. A, a great theologian, Ripacheep, from, from C.S. Lewis's writings, helps us understand that. Okay, maybe he's not the great theologian, but in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, the ship is sailing east, right, to get to Aslan's country. They're trying to get home. They're trying to get where God would have them be in eternity with him. And at the end, he's talking about his plans and if he'll quit the journey with the crew. And he says this, My own plans are made. While I can, I sail east in the Don Treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. His little, little boat made of a, a leaf and some other things. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer... If I have not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world into some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. And we see a longing for something more, right? A longing to for eternity with God, to be in God's country or Aslan's country. This morning as we come to Isaiah 60, we've been in a journey in Isaiah, right? We've been there almost a year And Isaiah has all kinds of emotions and ups and downs. And it started, the first 39 chapters were written to a people about to go in exile. They're in sin. And if you remember the timeline we put on there, Isaiah covers the timeline. And we have God's creation and he created it perfectly. And then man fell and rebelled. And we have sin in this fallen world that we're dealing with. The cross is the center point, but always looking forward to the new heaven and new earth. And and Isaiah 1 through 39 was, was basically, repent! You're going to go into captivity. You're going to go into judgment. Change your ways. And then Isaiah 40 to, to where we started the servant songs and then through the servant songs were written to a people that were already in exile. Were written looking forward to a people that would be in sorrow and in grief. And the message was, be comforted. A Savior's coming. Be comforted, a Savior's coming. And now we get to the end, Isaiah 56 to 66, and it's the last third of the book. And this section of the book is looking forward and saying God's kingdom is coming. Home is coming. So how should we live? Can we just look so forward to what's coming that we forget about doing anything here? Or is God wanting us to live a certain way here? And as we get to Isaiah 60 to 62, these three chapters, we'll we'll do 60 today and 61 and 62 next week, we get to an incredible description of the new heavens and the new earth, what home is going to be like, what heaven is going to be like. And the thing that I want to remember as we study this is the the question that he's answering is now that you've been delivered and he's writing now to a people that have come home from exile, Now that you've been delivered, how do you live in light of the kingdom? 
How do you live in light of this confident expectation, this hope, this knowledge that God will return, He will take His own, and we will spend eternity with Him? So what difference does that make now? And it makes all the difference in the world. See, how the kingdom will be informs us how we should be now. You catch that? How the kingdom will be informs us or instructs us of how we should be now. Because we are looking forward to the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of God if we've repented and accepted Christ. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, then this morning this is what could be if you do. But if you've accepted Christ, you're a citizen of the kingdom. You're a son and daughter of the king. So you're part of that future kingdom. So as we study it, it's not just let's get excited about it, but, oh, that's how we should be living now. We should be acting like citizens of heaven now. And that changes how we live. I was telling some of the elders this morning, this chapter just makes me happy. And as we study it, I hope it makes you happy too. So some of Isaiah, like I said, has been just hit you in the face with what you need to repent of and and of sin. And this chapter is like, oh, God is good. He is faithful. And so today my, my prayer is that you come away with that feeling. Oh, God is good and he is faithful. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 60? Isaiah chapter 60, as we are almost done with the book of Isaiah, in just about a month we'll be done with it. But Isaiah 60 will, will help us see this future kingdom. And I've titled this morning, A Bright Future. And I hope as we study through it, you'll see why. Isaiah 60, and we're going to look at four different sections of the chapter that tell us about what's coming. Tell us about Zion, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. And remind us how we should be. Verses 1 through 3 is the first section. And in your notes, you have different points. And point number one is Light. Light. And I have four different words to help us just quickly remember it this week and, and what the new heaven is described as. But light is the first word. Zion will shine, reflecting God's shining glory and attract the nations. Zion will shine, reflecting God's shining glory and attract the nations. If I have to put it into to language for me as a citizen of the kingdom, we will experience the light and reflect the light and attract others to Christ. Let me read these verses. Verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And right from the start, we need to ask the question, who's he talking to? Who's the your there? And, and we'll see you and your all through this. And in, in chapter 59, 20, that Pastor Andrew talked about last week, we saw that he was, the two verses before, he's introducing this idea of Zion. That Zion is coming. A redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression. In verse 14 of this chapter, we're going to see he's coming back to that. And this whole chapter is about Zion. Now, now most of you, well, some of you may be thinking Utah right now. And, and, you know, arches and all kinds of cool things. Zion here represents God's kingdom realized on earth. God's kingdom come down to earth. And so this is equivalent to the new Jerusalem that we see, the new heavens and the new earth in Isaiah, in fact, in Revelation. In fact, Isaiah 60 is going to read a lot like Revelation 21. It's the same topic as the city of God in Ezekiel. So when we talk about Zion and the new Zion today, 
we're referring to the future heaven and earth and our future with God, our future home. Because we, we know that God is redeeming creation back to himself and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth that we are with him in. And so when it says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, he's talking about the new heavens and the new earth, Zion. Arise and shine, the city, the city that incorporates all of its citizens has seen the light. The light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And right from the start in these three verses, and actually he'll pick up the theme later, but he's talking about light and light versus darkness. And the wording that, that he's using here has, is, is a wording we've seen throughout Isaiah. It's part of why we chose the title for this series, Hope That Crushes Darkness with the Light in the Darkness. It's this idea of, of light representing life and salvation and hope and darkness representing the despair of sin. The light versus the dark. And I'm resisting making a Star Wars reference there. But redemption has come. Light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The word for shine here and risen, and then in, in we'll see it again in verse 2, that it will arise on you. This is a word that's most often used in the Old Testament for the sunrise. Any of you see the sunrise this morning? Oh, come on, you were all up. Okay, maybe not. But the sunrise, and when we, I hear they happen, and when they happen, we get up and it's amazing, right? And we see the sunrise, and why is it amazing? Because it's breaking through the darkness that, it, that has been all night. And it's magnificent, and it's beautiful. And so God chooses to use the word here of the idea of sunrise to reference his glory breaking through into a dark world. His glory coming into our lives and pushing the darkness of sin and of despair out. And in fact, his glory is so much greater than the sunrise. It's amazing. It's his, and when we think of his glory, if you remember our Attributes of God series, we're referring to his entire character, his reputation, all of his attributes. All of who he is, boom, shines. And that changes us. And we get two commands out of verse 1. And we won't spend all our time in verse 1. We'll get through it. But the first two commands, arise and shine. Those are in, in, a, in the imperative. They're commands. And it's saying, God's glory is shining on you, Zion. This is what's going to happen. And so get up, appreciate it, enjoy it. And shine, reflect to others what I'm doing. You know, we have a children's song that's right out of this verse. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Terry was going to sing that for us. Because <laughs> I can't sing it because of my voice right now. And it's all scratchy. But you think of the rise and shine, see? And, and that's right out of this verse. And so when you get your kids up in the morning, you can say rise and shine, and they go, and you can say, no, 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 I'm just obeying God. I'm just getting you, obey scripture, get up. You know, my kids are getting into the teenage years, and it's getting a little harder to get them up in the morning. And I heard Susie this morning saying rise and shine and some grumbling, and um, no, 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 we should get up. But here he's saying, spiritually and cognitively rise, appreciate God's light 
And when we do, we will reflect it to others. We will shine it to others. And as we're going to see in this text, we will shine it not just to those we come in contact with each day, but to the world, to the nations. See, we can't talk about the new heavens and new earth without talking about God's heart for missions and God's heart for the world to seek Him and to know Him. Verse 2 goes on and and explains this a little bit further and the, the difference between darkness and light. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But Yahweh will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. And he's setting up the difference of this world and the crud of this world and the darkness of this world and what's coming. And when, when God's new heaven and earth comes and we are there with God and we are citizens, we are in that kingdom, and the darkness will be no more. The darkness and the despair will be gone and that should make us happy. And that should get us a little giddy at reading something like this. Yahweh will arise upon you. He will return and dwell with His people in Zion. His light will shine on His people because light wins. Now throughout this, and we we talked about prophecy, we talked about the mountains and the valleys of prophecy, that we sometimes see a, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. There's no doubt that this entire chapter is looking forward to the new heavens and new earth. But we see glimpses of it here. We see glimpses of heaven in our history and now and and what God's doing. And here we see a glimpse looking forward to the Messiah. When Jesus comes and he hangs on that cross and three days later rises from the dead, darkness is defeated. It is defeated. And so we see the beginning of the kingdom there and, and how we come into the kingdom. But we know that a day is coming where it is ultimately defeated in all sin And all despair is taken care of. Light removes darkness. Think about it. Darkness never removes light. Light removes darkness. And Jesus is the light. He goes on in verse 3. And nations shall come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. And we see that this is, is a light that not only exposes darkness and gets rid of darkness but it's an attractive light. It's a magnetic light. And, and it, it just draws people in that truly see it for what it is. Nations and kings, and those are used together to express a totality of the world. The entire world will see the light. Those that are people from every nation. And those that come to Christ and repent will be part of this migration to the new heavens, the new earth, to the new Zion. And so this first section is light, light. And he's comparing it to the sun and he's saying, but no, 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 no. God's glory and what he is doing is far greater. I love examples and and any chance I get to bring some of my tools, this is a good thing. So I think of this as the light of the sun. Pretty bright. Just put new batteries in it this morning. Nothing. Even what we're experiencing now, nothing compared to the new heaven and the new earth. Hey, 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 up there. (laughs) There's people up there. Now, this is something I got for home because we have some critters in the railroad tracks behind our house and there's ways to see little critters. And this one wasn't doing it. What we experience now is just a taste. It's the dim light. 
when we are in heaven with God, guys, man, it is going to blow us away with his glory and his presence with us. You think that's blinding? That's nothing. And so we should get excited about the light. Now, what do we do as kingdoms of, or as citizens of the kingdom looking forward to that light? We need to now revel in the light and shine it to others. Revel in the light and shine it to others. See, if I've experienced the light of God's glory, if I've experienced his change in my life, if I've experienced the hope of salvation, I can't help but reflect that to others. We're glow-in-the-dark people. Glow-in-the-dark stuff, right? You shine a light on them and, and they just glow. You turn the light out and they glow. But you have to have that light to be able to glow, right? You have to have something to reflect. And so when I talk with people and see people that are struggling to reflect the light and, and struggling to get excited about what God is doing and have this hope, the question has to be, do you have the light? Have you been in an experience with who God is, the almighty God that wants to be with his people, that has redeemed his people out of sin and darkness? See, when we're blown away by the, the servant and soul and Isaiah 53, and we've experienced that light, we can't help but shine. And so citizens of the kingdom revel in the light, find way to shine it to as many people as possible. The next section, four through nine, the word to remember is worship. Worship. Believers from a wonderful variety of nations will be drawn to Zion in true worship and devotion. Believers from a wonderful variety of nations, and I added that in because you're going to see in the text, it's from everywhere. From a wonderful variety of nations will be drawn to Zion in true worship and devotion. Let's read this section and and get the sense of it. We won't necessarily get into every verse, but I want you to get the overall sense. Lift up your eyes all around and see. Command, command to Zion and citizens of kind. Look around. Experience what God is doing. See. See the light. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. And he's, he's telling them about this attraction that the light has, that, that people are coming from all over the world. Sons and daughters in verse 4, and we're going to see children a little bit later in verse 9. The idea, it could be talking about Israel specifically, but as we look at the whole context of the text, it's more than likely talking about God's children from every race and nation and tribe. Now, the key is God's children, those that have come to God, those that have accepted him. And they're coming from all over. In John eleven fifty two, 52, Jesus mentions this, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And we're going to see this, this attraction to Zion, to God, to his light, because people can't stay away. See, the other thing when we experience an almighty God, we can't help but worship. We can't help but draw close to him and sing to him and praise him. And so we see that as, as we read on in verse 5. You, you will see and be radiant. That's the reflecting again. Your heart will thrill and exalt. This will be exciting because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. It's not about the money here. Some might say, oh, cool, rich. 
No, it's about people coming and giving offerings and sacrificing to God, giving themselves to God in worship. The word for the abundance of the sea here is is, is the idea. It's sort of a strange word here because it has to do with the noise of the sea. You've been to the ocean and the waves are crashing down. That's the word that's used here. The, the crashing of the waves. And the idea is so many people, this is so cool, so many people will be coming to worship God that it's a, a, a noise that is like the crashing of waves that never stops. You know, this morning we had a lot of noise at the beginning, right? A party in the back because people were loving on each other and enjoying each other. Nothing compared to what it's going to be when millions are coming to the new heaven and new earth. And they can't help but worship. And they can't help about how to talk about how great God is and what he's doing. That's the word that's used here. Six, a multitude of camels shall cover you. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba will come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. And you see people coming from all over the world to praise God. Again, we get a glimpse of this in the Christmas story, right? So the Magi, they came from afar, right? What did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And here it says people are going to come from afar. And some of these countries are in the east. And they're going to bring gold and frankincense. Now that was just a glimpse. That was a partial fulfillment of what we're going to see in the new heavens and the new earth. The idea here is people are going to come from everywhere to worship. How could you not? How could you not? It goes on to say, All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and will beautify my beautiful house. And you, you see the words of altar and acceptance on my altar reminding us of giving an offering to God of praise, of worship that is acceptable to him. Worship is one of the clear themes of this section. Now, now chances are you looked at those cities and you're like, I have no idea where those are. Uh, Maybe you do. Maybe you know where Naboth is and Kedar and, and that's just really cool to you. But he's using these cities that sort of go around the perimeter of Israel, the far reaches of the world. He's saying there's going to be people from everywhere that accept Christ and come to him. And it's going to be incredible worship. You know, worship isn't about me and my everything looking like me and my desires. Worship is about praising God. There's going to be people from every tribe and nation and language worshiping God. And we're going to like it. It's going to be awesome. And that should be part of our desire, part of our hope. It's interesting. I, I think this is just a side note. I think the names were chosen here on purpose. Well, I know they weren't chosen on purpose. But, but many of these names are descendants of Abraham from different branches than Israel. And so you have Midian, who was the son of Abraham by another wife. Ephah, who's the son of Midian. And so this is, is Abram's son and grandson from another wife. You have Kedar, who's the son of Ishmael. And you have Nebaioth, who's the eldest son of Ishmael. So you have Ishmael's son and grandson. And God is making a point of the Abrahamic covenant here that says, through you I will bless the nations. And that people of all nations will come to God. These are people that often were enemies of Israel. That that were uh, uh, in opposition to them, that had oppressed them in many cases. 
And God's saying, no, no, those that believe even from those nations are going to be with you. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, it's about praising God. And we are unified under that praise. They will worship. 8 and 9 goes on. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? And the, and the idea is, is doves coming home to roost, going home. And, and they're going to their nests on the windows. There's settledness. There's hope. There's peace. All of that comes with eternity with Christ. In verse 9, they're coming from the sea too. For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. There's silver and gold with them for the name of Yahweh your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. And we see the work of God to make them beautiful there, make them attractive, and people from all over are coming to them. One other note, if if it's your Bible, you might want to highlight this, to underline this. The end of nine gives us the purpose for all of this. It's so easy to think that heaven is for me. Heaven is because I'm such a special person that God chose me and God picked me and he saved me so I could be with him in, in heaven. In verse 9, all this is for the name of Yahweh your God, for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. It's to God's glory and he will glorify as we are together with him. He will be glorified. It's for his name, his reputation. We're coming home. You can look at Isaiah 2, 2 and 3 sometime. That's the introduction to Isaiah. And he references this. He, he references people coming and attracted to the mountain of the house of the Lord. So what can we learn from this section? What, how should citizens of heaven respond? See, citizens of the kingdom love to worship now. We're going to be worshiping for all eternity. That, we're going to be drawn in to give gifts and devotion to God. So if we really understand who God is, we should love to worship now. It should be a highlight of what we do. Citizens of the kingdom also devote themselves and their resources to the king. It's part of worship. They brought their best resources, offered them either in sacrifice or as gifts to the king. This is why we do take our offering during worship. Because it's an act of worship to say, God, you've given me everything I have. You've given me everything I own. Out of gratitude and praise to you, I give you just a little bit back. Because you are God and I am not. Last one in that section, citizens of the kingdom long for people of all nations to worship together. Citizens of the kingdom long for people of all nations to worship together. Oh, when we hear things like Matt talking and talking about Africa and the people coming to Christ in Africa, we should be just jumping in our seats and we should be excited because that means people of all nations are coming to God. And we're going to be worshiping every tribe and every tongue around the throne. Do we long for that now? If we understand what God has done, if we're part of his kingdom, missions is part of who we are. We can't get away from it. Our neighbor who doesn't know Christ is part of who I am, that I want him to come and know Christ. Because we know in the future, in the new heaven and new earth, man, we're all going to be worshiping together and it's going to be awesome. So worship. Third word there, submission. Submission. People from everywhere will serve and submit to God. God will be central. 
Now catch these verses again, the, the flavor of these verses. And they're similar to the ones that have come before. But in, rather than worship and, and, and bringing items, they're ministering here. In verse 10, foreigners shall build up your walls. Their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. And he's reminding them, yes, you went into exile. Yes, I disciplined you for your sin. But there's a day coming where sin is gone and we will be together forever and you won't have to worry about that. 11, your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. And these are wonderful word pictures. The gates of a city every evening right around dusk would be shut to keep robbers and wild animals out. It was an issue of protection. And so when he says, man, in the new heavens and new earth, the gates will never be shut, he's saying that's because there's no threat. We're safe. We're secure. The other reason this gives is because so many people are coming in to worship that they can't shut them. So many kings are coming in to worship. There is nothing like being in a big choir. I I loved you guys singing. I love it when I hear all of us singing. I can remember in high school being in uh, an 800-voice choir in a cathedral with incredible acoustics. And there is nothing like singing praises to God with God's people. Imagine millions. Imagine millions. Verse 12, for nation and kingdom, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. And this is a reference to that all nations and kingdoms, all people who don't come to God, they will be judged. And ultimately at the great white throne judgment, they will be judged finally. And right now we're dealing with this whole passage is for after that. And so, He's dealing with the new heavens and new earth where there is no more sin. But it's a reminder that if we don't come to God, this is not for us. The glory in verse 13 of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. And you see people coming to serve again. Verse 10, to minister. In verse 14, the sons of those who afflicted who shall come, you shall, the, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, submission, coming under the authority of God. All who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And we see throughout this section God's sovereignty over all, He is supreme over all. All of us in the new heaven and new earth will come under submission to God. That's why it works. All the sin and all the junk in this world is because we've fallen out of submission to God and we've rebelled against His way. But here again, that's all taken care of and we will worship. The last section there, transformation or transformed. God completely and permanently transforms this old fallen world into the new heaven and the new earth. The old is gone, the new will come. And these verses make me happy too. In verse 15, we see the the transformation. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through. And he starts with three terms 
to, to Israel especially, they were forsaken, they were hated, they were despised among the nations. It got to a point with the exile that no one would go there because why go there when there's no people there and no commerce? But God changes it all around. He reverses the curse. He says, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breast of kings. You shall know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. And he's talking there about the care that nations will give them instead of despising them. Because in the new heaven and the new earth, those that follow God are cared for, are revered. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. And in each of these, he's saying, I'm going to make things better. You build with this, I'm going to give you something better. This is made of this, I'm going to give you something better. This life is not all there is. It's going to get better. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. He's saying your leaders will even be changed. The people will be changed. Your leaders now are are, are going to be righteous. They're not going to take advantage of you. They're going to do what is right. This is awesome. 18, violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. This place is different. Imagine a world with no more sin, no more violence, no more devastation, no more destruction, no more earthquakes, no more tornadoes in Texas. Instead, salvation and praise. I want to live there. I want to live there. And how could you not praise? Because the Redeemer has redeemed and taken care of the darkness. Finishing out the chapter, verse 19, The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor your brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord, Yahweh, will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down and your moon withdraw itself for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. Sun and moon, God's presence. He says no more night. And that's, that's I, I think you have to look at this both literally and spiritually, that, that there won't be a night. We, we won't need that in heaven because we're in the glory of God but also the night represents the despair and the sorrow. And you see that in in, in these verses. The days of mourning shall be ended. The light will be with us forever. God will dwell in our midst. Really, in our midst. And yes, now we have a taste of that with God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, but we will walk with God and we will talk with God. And His light will, will cover every part of our life. Verse 21, your people shall all be righteous. Sin is gone. It is taken care of. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. And we see the purpose there again. But sin is saying, we are changed. We're changed people here. We're righteous. There will no longer be any temptation no sinful thought, no thought of anger or greed or lust because our focus 
will be on God Almighty. Oh, I can't wait. Verse 22, the least one shall become a clan, the smallest one a mighty nation. I am Yahweh. In its time, I will hasten it. It's a reference back to the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, I will make you a great nation. He's like, how? I don't have any kids. And he did it through a small clan. And so God keeps his word. But then at the end, he keeps his word to all of us. I am Yahweh. In its time, I will hasten it. It will happen. It's a confidence. God said it. He does it. And it's settled. How do citizens of the kingdom respond to this? We're being transformed into righteousness every day. Even now, we're being transformed into this picture a little bit by degree by degree every day. And so my question is, do we crave righteousness? Do we crave being changed? Do we crave the kingdom? There should be a difference in who I am because I'm a citizen of a different kingdom and this is not my home. So when you think of your week this week, can you get through Monday or Tuesday and have people not know there's a difference? Because if people can't see a difference, there's a problem in our citizenship. Man, we're looking forward to heaven, guys. We're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth and eternity with God where we, where we will be changed and we will be righteous. That should change how we live now. But I want to read just the six things about citizens of the kingdom that we talked about. Citizens of the kingdom revel in the light and shine it to others. Citizens of the kingdom love to worship now. Citizens of the kingdom devote themselves and their resources to the king. They long for people of all nations to come and worship together and make it happen. Citizens of the kingdom make Christ central in all that they do because they're submitted to him. And finally, we're being transformed into righteousness every day. Crave the transformed kingdom. Don't just be happy about this passage because, hey, we get to live an incredible life. But be happy about it because God is changing us into his likeness, degree by degree. God, you are worthy. You are slain for our sins to bring us into eternity with you for your glory. Lord, we're excited. Help us to be excited about heaven, about worshiping you. Oh, God, thank you. We praise you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.